Take your Bibles, if you would, turn to Psalm chapter 130. Psalm chapter 130, if you would. We're taking our time in July to have summer in the Psalms, and it's going to be interesting in August. We're actually going to jump to the Proverbs. We're excited about that. We wanted to, to bring some personal um, poetry, if, if I could say, into our summer, and the Psalms are where we go for that. Psalm 130 is a part of a group of Psalms called the Psalms or Songs of Ascent. Maybe you've seen that scripture. I've always wondered, what in the world is that? What are the Songs of Ascent? Well, think about ascending. Think about going up. Think about traveling upwards. Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 People traveling to Jerusalem for the many festivals that would have happened throughout the year who would have been taking treacherous journeys. Think Jericho, for instance, you're going north, northish, about 30 miles in desert wilderness. You don't have a car. You're taking a journey that literally could be perilous for you. You may die of uh, dehydration. You may uh, die of robbers killing you. You may get lost. And so you're on this journey, and as you are, these psalms, these songs would have been repeated and sung on the journey to encourage and lift them as they approach Jerusalem. Now, lest we just think that's information and that's just how it was and we're just understanding it, God is always working in the physical world, the lesser to help us understand the greater. So what's the spiritual picture and beautiful symbolism we have here? Well, If you're traveling to where God is, to the city of where God is, and the Bible ends with God creating a city where he dwells with his people, Jerusalem represents that. Now, we know God lives in and among his people now, no longer in a location, as Jesus said in John 4, neither on this mountain or this mountain. The time is coming where God will, he's looking for those who will worship him in spirit and truth. But the picture of life as a journey that you have to walk and travel, and it's perilous. It's filled with danger constantly. It's filled with thirst and hunger. It's filled with despair. What is it on the journey that's going to help you beyond food, beyond water? What is it that's going to help the soul, help the mind, that's gonna be the thing that you need to continue and not give up on the journey As you're moving towards God. You see the picture here? And these psalms are the ones they would have sung to to lift their hearts and to help them through these circumstances. Today we're going to be in Psalm chapter 130. You know, I don't know if someone's on the live stream or if you're here today, if, if we're all on the same page. I think it would be wrong to always assume that everyone is all on the same page, we're good, we're Christians, we believe in God, we follow scripture, and everything that's gonna be said, we're in line with. Someone could be listening or here, and you're like, man, I'm, I'm just trying to get through this moment, I don't really wanna hear what you have to say, uh, like, like I don't, I, I'm not a part of this, and so we're not on the same page. Can, can, I wanna, I wanna, can we all get on the same page about something, though? What we can all agree on, what we can all admit If we're being honest, when the distractions fade, when the end of the day has come and we're no longer seeing face-to-face with people and we have the ability to suppress how we really feel and and we're alone and the the sun has gone down and it's dark and we're trying to sleep and and our mind starts to be flooded with the anxieties and the despairs 
and the stress of life. I mean, how we really feel about living on planet Earth, living a life, we can all agree on it, is filled with moments that are extremely hard. Maybe you, no one knows it, but maybe you are desperately alone right now, feeling lonely. Maybe you feel like people have betrayed you. You've put your trust out to people and they have betrayed you. They have let you down and now you are alone. Maybe it's the constant effect of disease on the body that is littered inside of your body and it's causing pain. It's causing a sense of despair. Maybe it's your own choices that you've made that have, that have caused such a cavernous depth of guilt and shame in your life. It's almost hard to breathe when you're alone and you have to think about those things. You do not have to agree with the Bible to agree with that. That the reality of life is not this, ooh, we're happy people who just act like everything's okay. The reality is, anytime we come in here together, we are filled with moments of life that are extremely disparaging. So where are you at? If I took five minutes, which I'm not, to talk about all the evil and pain going on in the world, we, we would, we would we'd get the picture. Someone here may be despairing of life itself, um, wanting to give up. I actually want to read to you a modern psalm, a song that's written in our modern day by someone who does not believe the hope that scripture brings. And I think that this song perfectly represents what it's like to be human. I listen to it often because it reminds me of how I used to feel before the hope in Christ. And it also reminds me of the cry of the human soul of people who do not have hope. It goes like this. Painted a picture of how it's supposed to turn out. Down in a cold, dirty well, and I cannot climb out. What a picture, stuck in a well. Can't see no light, can't hear no bells. They walk right over me, can't hear my yells. They state me missing and search all over the town. Look left, then right, but don't ever look down. Dig me my grave, I won't be saved. No, I won't be saved, so dig me my grave. Helpless, hopeless, cold, and lonely. Only you can save me now. Trembling and shivering, scared, I want this all to end. If only you could hear me now. My mind is spinning around and around. I'm on my way down. The louder I yell, the deeper I sink. Closer to hell, far from my instincts. Helpless, hopeless, cold and lonely. Only you can save me now. Trembling and shivering, scared. I want this all to end for me. If only you could hear me now. I'm on my way down. I'm on my way down. I'm on my way down. And I will never feel that beat again. I will never see the light. I will never hear those bells ringing, helpless, hopeless, cold, and lonely. Only you can save me now, trembling and shivering, scared. I want this all to end. If only you could hear hear me now. I'm on my way down, going down, going down, going down, going down. And just when you think the good news has come in, the song ends with this, dig me my grave because I won't be saved. 
I won't be saved, so dig me my grave down in a cold, dirty well, and I cannot climb out. Wow. It's very honest, isn't it? I think this is the most honest song in the human heart without God. Now, turn to Psalm 30, eight verses. Follow along with me if I, as I read this. Person in Psalm 30 finds themselves also in a cold, dirty well. The psalmist says, Out of the depths, down in a cold, dirty well, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him there is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Right? Immediately starts in the same place, but immediately the trajectory of the heart and the soul's cry and these two people go in different directions, do they not? What's the difference? And I would say this, the difference is this word hope. This word hope. What is hope and how important is it? You know, when we talk about hope from scripture, we're talking about guarantees. We're not talking about wishful potentials. Let me give you a story of where I experienced a, a worldly type of hope. And this is going to show the foolishness of my teenage years. So I'm okay with of letting you guys into it. Uh, I remember at some party that was out on this huge like pavilion deck that was lifted off the ground, someone's birthday party. And, it, 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 and behind it were just nothing but forests. And of course, the all the kids get together, teenagers are there, all the dudes, you know, are kind of like other dudes around, so I got to strut, I got to, you know, I got to get more attention than all the other guys, you know, there's girls there, you know, some you know, some you don't know, and so you're just, you're in that, that, that palpable energy of like, I got to, I got to just get attention. So somehow, someway, someone said, I dare you to jump off the back of this pavilion, And you know, everyone's around and heard the dare without missing a beat. I started running, put my hands on the top of the railing of the deck, facing out towards the wood and as fast and as hard as I could, like an Olympic jumper, like went off the springboard, put my hands on the side and did a flip over the pavilion into the woods just because I was dared. And as I did, (laughs) started to realize, oh, I can't see the ground. Had to be at least 15 feet off the ground. And the, 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 the forest just kept declining into a cavernous valley. As the further out I'm flipping and flailing through the air, the higher I'm getting. In that moment, I experienced worldly hope. I had no guarantee that when I landed, my femurs would not snap instantly. 
I had no guarantee my arms would still be in the socket. I had no guarantee my nose would properly be where it should be. I had no guarantee that I would still be conscious. But you know what I was hoping for in the moment? That I would be, that a miracle would come through and somehow, by some miracle, I would make it out of this predicament situation as I'm flailing and flipping through the air. Now, thankfully, because of the decline of the forest, it was like it was like an Olympic ski jumper, kind of like hitting the ground and getting to like have a soft, kind of like a, a faded gradient fall instead of just smacking the ground. And I rolled, hit a few trees and limbs, and was able to like in the moment, as I heard nothing but like a gasp come from everyone who watched because of how cool I was as a teenager could tell they, they couldn't believe that I actually did it. Neither could I. Paused for a second, stood up, realizing I'm, I'm okay. I'm bruised, I'm hurt, but somehow I managed to make it out of that. That is not hope. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about the way we use that word. We're, we're talking about the guarantee that you will be redeemed, that you will make it out of the situation you're in. So, here's what we're going to talk about today. And, and the Psalms are supposed to be personal. This is a Psalm where it's an individual going through a situation so the masses can hear and be encouraged. You let this sink deep, and the hope that I'm trying to instill in your heart will come from this, past, this scripture. So, when life tells me all is lost, When life tells me all is lost and give up, the gospel reminds me of four things from this passage. The gospel being good news, being realities, guarantees. When life tells me all is lost, the gospel reminds me that I have immediate access to an all-powerful help. The psalmist says this, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Last week, Bjorn beautifully helped us elevate Jesus to a proper place in our minds. And he, he mentioned the, the double usage of the word Lord and the capitalized Lord and the lower place Lord, uh, the capitalized one representing Yahweh, God, the supreme being, and then the lowercase representing the master and king. And so you have this person crying from a location out of the depths, kind of like being down in a cold, dirty well Oh Lord, hear my voice. Now let me bring you in some understanding of the depths. When you read scripture, the depths in the Jewish person's mind represented being at the bottom of the sea. That was the abyss. That was the scariest, most all-consuming, worst place to be. That was like hell. That's what it's like to go to hell in their mind. And the grave is the abyss of the ocean. And even today we understand the all-consuming uh, abyss that the ocean is. It, it, some of you are probably like, hey, I don't even want to think about having all that water around me. You're supposed to be thinking of Jonah as he was thrown off the boat and he started to sink to the bottom and he said, the weeds wrapped around my head. That's the situation this person's in. Precarious, is it not? Even worse than flying through the air hoping you don't break your bones. Actually, the, to be in the depths is a guaranteed death sentence. So he's talking about a situation of life that feels impossible to get out of. It's the human experience. But notice this. 
unlike the, the song from today of the person counting on the people above to look down, but they never do, screaming as loud as he can, hoping that these limited creatures above will hear his cry as help and then hoping that they'll actually be able to get him out of that. The psalmist here reminds us that we have immediate access regardless of whatever depth or situation we're in, immediate access to the one who is all powerful, which means he can hear you. He sees you. He knows exactly what you need and he's even able to help. Out of the depths, I cry to you, You see, this person understood where they were, though. I think sometimes we can, maybe we grow up in the depths. We're, you know, we're used to the depths. You know, our all the only world we know is the depths and the cold, dirty well. And for us, it's normal. Some people don't even cry because they don't even know that they're in a situation that's destructive. Oh Lord, hear my voice. And then he says this, let your ears be attentive. And then he starts to reveal what it is that's got him so despairing or disparaging. He says this, be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Mercy is what God gives us when we deserve punishment. Actually, when when we deserve to be in the well, consumed by the well, taken over by the abyss, that's what we rightfully deserve. Mercy is like, God, don't let what I deserve take me over. So now we have to start thinking about the situations in our life that we've gotten ourselves, where we have put ourselves, the pits that we've jumped into, got ourselves there, made the decisions, did it, over and over and over again, deserve to be there, is God gonna hear your plea for mercy? Don't let me be taken over by this, though I deserve to be. That's when you're crying out for mercy. We have immediate access or the immediate ear of the all-powerful powerful God who is omniscient, which means he's everywhere all at once. There's never a place where you can be, not even the abyss where he's not there with you. Starting to already instill hope different than those who have no hope. So cry out to the one who can hear you. What's your first response when you're in the abyss of life? When you're, when you're reeling from, from your decisions, what's the first response? Is it to call out to God? It should be. Because he's the one who can hear you. He's the one who can help. He's the one who's always immediately there. It doesn't end there. It continues to build because my question is, is God going to hear him? Is God going to hear you? If, if you're in this, the same place for the 50th or 5,000th or 50,000th time where you deserve to be consumed by the abyss, is God gonna hear your cries for mercy? Well, look what he says next. If you, O Lord should mark iniquities. Verse three, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. When life tells me all is lost, the gospel reminds me, yes, I have immediate access to all powerful help, but also this, it reminds me I have an ever-present, never-ending forgiveness and mercy that is constantly extended to me. 
And this is being said in the Old Testament. I mean, you can just, with us, with our knowledge of Jesus, with the New Testament, we read this and it just, it just bubbles over with good news. And then we hear people talk about the Old Testament like somehow God's different there. No, his steadfast love and his mercy has been the same since the beginning. His ever-present, never-ending forgiveness. So we now we know that the person is in the pits and he's in the depths of the consequences and the guilt and the shame of his own sin, his own iniquities. He says there, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, and he rightfully says this, who could stand? All right, God, if you're gonna compile together, all, all of us compile together all of our wrongdoing our iniquities, our trespasses, our sins. He rightfully says, who is there that could stand before you that wouldn't deserve to be consumed by you? Rhetorical question, is there anyone? No, there's not. But thank goodness the scripture tells us this. Hear this. God does not deal with us according to our sins. How good is that? How good is that? You may deserve the abyss and you're very much aware of that. But God says, I don't deal with you according to your sins. Which means you're waiting for the lightning bolt. You're waiting for the immediate condemnation. You're waiting for me to come in and act and give you exactly what you deserve. And God says, no, I do not do that. Scripture tells us about the common grace that's on all mankind, even the people that we would rejoice to see slaughtered today because of their evil. God showers them with goodness. It rains on the just and the unjust. Peter says this, God is not slack concerning his promises. Yeah, he says he's gonna make anything right, but he's not like slack and slow, like I'll get around to it when I'm ready. If you view God like that, you have a wrong understanding of his love and his patience. God is not slack in coming to deal with the evil in the world because if he dealt with the evil in the world as fast and as immediate as he wanted us to, he would have to deal with us. He'd have to deal with your family members and your loved ones who still aren't saved. When you start to think about it in that way, you want God to slow up, do you not? But when we're thinking about people we don't know, we don't care about God, deal with them immediately. But he can't deal with them unless he deals with us. He's not slow, but he's willing that all should come to repentance. None perish in the abyss, but all come to repentance. Romans, the book of Romans says, do you presume upon the riches and kindness of God and forbearance? thinking that you deserve it because he doesn't strike you down immediately, living the way you want to live, thinking that all's good because God's not somehow uh, in, in a very visceral way dealing with you so you must be okay with how you're living. That's a presumption that like you're going to get the grace and the mercy and the forbearance of God. And then Paul says this, not knowing that the kindness and forbearance of God is meant to lead you to repentance. The point is, I'm, be, I'm giving you mercy every day. The Old Testament says his mercies are new every morning. Giving you mercy, not giving you what you deserve every day so that, like the psalmist says here, that you may be feared And be motivated by my love and my care and undeserved compassion for you. And it will cause you in your heart to well up with a love for me. 
not the lightning bolt, law demanding picture you have of me, but the picture where you're on your knees begging for mercy and I give it every single time. And every time I give it, you're more and more overcome by just how patient and forbearing I am. And it causes you to well up with an honor and a reverence for God that you cannot get on your own unless you experience this. When life tells me all is lost, the gospel reminds me that I have ever-present, never-ending forgiveness. So ask as many times as you need. No one could stand before God if he dealt with us according to our sins, but with him there is forgiveness that he may be feared. That's one of those moments where you're like, how does being forgiven equal me fearing him? Well, that, that's helping you understand what a proper, uh, proper fear is. It's, it's more than just being afraid. It's not that. It's, it's you understand who he is and how he's treating you and a reverence and awe should be bubbling up in your heart. A fear where, wow, he, he's, he's the one. He's better than anyone else. He's number one. There's no one greater than him. Oh, I understand who I am in his presence. I see how small I am and how big he is. It's the appropriate response that you may be feared. Both already the first four verses are doing something to the heart of the psalmist. Notice he's in the depths. There's an immediate cry. A situation where he is understanding what he's, who he is and what he's done. And he's wanting some type of help. And you can already start seeing the shift as the hope is, is growing in his heart. When life tells me all is lost, the gospel reminds me, thirdly, that I have an overwhelming guarantee of God's favor. It's just gonna keep getting better, guys. Verses five and six, look what he says. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word, I have hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. And this is the climactic trajectory of the heart when you have true, real, guaranteed hope, this is how it truly manifests itself in your life. I hate when I use that word manifest because it's such a, such a bad word today in the realm of new age. So please don't be distracted by that. I just distracted myself with it. I'm using it in the true definition of the word. This is what shows up in the soul of a person when you have this type of hope an overwhelming guarantee of God's favor. How does it reveal itself? What's the symptom of someone who has hope? It's this, they will wait on the Lord through any moment of life. They will wait. A theme in scripture that's huge all over the place is the one we don't wanna be true and it's waiting. Who likes to wait, right? Who loves that? Who loves being like, uh, class seven on boarding a plane where you could have walked to the other country by the time you got on the plane. Who likes that, right? Hope will cause the person to wait. Take you back to the song of the heart of someone who has no hope. You give up. Listen to me. People give up in two ways. They give up on their life or they give up on following God and they take the wide, easy path when they have no hope. And having no hope 
is the belief that it'll never get better. I'm in a corner. This is my life and it will never get better. I have nothing to look forward to. There is nothing that's going to pull me out of it. I'm stuck and actually I'm only gonna sink deeper and deeper and deeper like the song. Why would you wait and hang on if that's what you believe about life? Now here's what's even more tragic. People give up all the time simply because they believe they have no reason to wait when all the while they do. Imagine this, imagine hanging onto a cliff and you're hanging on with all your strength, and you genuinely believe no one's coming to grab your hand and save you. You you have no help, no assistance, and so you let go, and you give up. But what you didn't know, five seconds before you let go was someone who noticed and was coming over to help you. How tragic would that be? Just because you don't know the help is there or believe that the help is there doesn't mean that it isn't. The tragedy of not holding on and waiting when help was there all along, you just never saw it. So in the realm of your sins, the guilt and the shame that the enemy comes in and peppers your conscience with constantly, because that's what he does. He can't touch the life of God's people, but he can get people trapped in the accusations of guilt and shame because of your life. And he wants you to stay there because he wants you to believe that God will not forgive you. That's what he does. So he accuses God, he accuses you before God and he brings it constantly up in your head. And so why in the world would you keep holding on if you genuinely believe there's no forgiveness or mercy for you. Is someone here that you need to pay attention to your own soul and heart, be self-reflective and pay attention. If you are at that place where you're like, God is done with me, there's no help for me. It's just, I'm, I'm just done fighting this anymore. That is not the work of God in your heart. It's the work of the enemy. It, it's, the, it's the non-gospel of the enemy that you've put your faith in. I hear a voice It tells me words and sentences. It gives me a logic and a rationale. So I'm gonna choose to place my faith in that and believe that. Belief is so powerful. What is the outcome and the implications of believing that there is no hope for you? Give up, give in. Give up, give in. Anybody feel that right now? But then God comes along and he makes this guy go through it and they write it down in a poetic song And then God writes it in his word and he gives it to all generations so you can hear the cry of the soul, but you can see an example of someone who has hope, who has the promises of God, and you can see within them the endurance and the waiting well up in their hearts and they're able to go through anything in life because they have the one thing that will help them endure through anything. And we have it. It's here. It's available. It's immediate. It's all present. It's all powerful. It never ends. You have the forgiveness of sins and the mercy of God and Jesus Christ has secured that for you. It is not something you tell yourself to make yourself feel better or to help you cope with situations, which is what the world does. Help you cope and just get through. So they tell you little lies like you don't need forgiveness. You're not in the depths. Let me just tell you and placate your flesh and tell you what you want to hear and you surround yourself with people who tell you all those things. You hate how the despair fills and you so you rely on people to tell you lies, to sound of your conscience and sear it. I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong. I'm not in the depths. I'm not wrong because you'd rather believe 
that everything's okay than actually be okay. But you have to be willing to look at your circumstance, see the grime and the grit on the wall, see the the depth that you're in and realize this is not any way to live. I don't want to be here. If I can be honest with the situation, now cry out to the one who can actually do something about it. So where does waiting come in? What's the point of waiting? Uh, It's the reality of life. Life is waiting. Brothers and sisters, has God forgiven you your sins through Jesus Christ? Yes or no? Amen. Have you experienced? No, pay attention. Have you passed through judgment yet? Have you passed through the judgment of God yet? Yes or no? No, you have not. There's a day appointed where all men must stand before God in judgment and give an account for the things done in the body. How does that make you feel knowing you still have to stand before God and you still have to pass through judgment knowing that your whole life is a black cavernous flesh experience of selfishness and sin and iniquities and trespasses? What, what does that potentially do to the heart as you're still anticipating a day that's going to come that you haven't experienced yet and the only way you will, you will avoid separation from God and be thrust into an eternity of heaven is by passing through that judgment. Now, what does that do as you think about that? Wow, it is, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's going to help me wait with confidence knowing that I will pass through this judgment? Nothing tangible you can hold on to because the person here is still in the depths, still in a cold, dirty well. Like maybe their salvation isn't coming for another 20 years. The actual experience of being out of the well, out of the abyss. What do you want? Do you want your circumstances to immediately change or do you want a heart that will wait and can go through anything? God's trying to give you the latter. The first is cheap. The first will cause you to to reach and grab for cheap means to get yourself out of your circumstances always. But if your hope is in your circumstances changing, then you do not have hope because you have no guarantee that your circumstances will change. Do you get it? But with God, the gospel reminds you you have an overwhelming guarantee of God's favor. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, you will stand before him in judgment, like Hebrew said, and pass through because you placed your faith in him alone, not in your works, not in other people, not in other religions, but you placed your faith in the one who can actually do something about it. And God is pleased with that. He has appointed a man and the work that he's called us to do is to believe on him whom he sent. The only Hope you have is the guarantee that God gave you. Is that enough for you? Are the words of God enough for you? Not the experience of passing through judgment, but the promise of passing through judgment. It must be enough for you because it was enough for the psalmist and that's all you have, but it is enough. Look what he says here. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, which means not out of the situation but I'm not being overcome by the circumstance because I have a guarantee of the favor of God upon me. So I wait patiently in the abyss, in the depths, 
for that day to come on God's timing. And look what he says here. And in his word, I hope. That means life should be this experience. Remember, we're like all traveling to Jerusalem. We're not there yet. We're still in the desert. There's, there's the, the danger all around us. And, and so we, we eat and we drink and we consume the word of God and we place it in our heart because it's what gives us hope. And pay attention to the moments of life when you deprive yourself of that, how hopelessness begins to fester. Put it to test. Don't. We already do. But pay attention at least to the hopelessness that festers immediately connected with your grip on God's word as you begin to let go. And guess what? If you let go of God's word and his promises that he's given you now to help you through these times, you're going to grab onto someone else's word and it won't be God's. And normally it ends up being the enemy's. But we don't see it that way because he comes as an angel of light. He tries to make us believe that what we're holding on to is God's word. And so he lies to us constantly trying to take the place of God. Think about this. If you believe you cannot be forgiven or you're too far gone or all is lost, in order for you to believe that, you have to believe that God is a liar. Now, if you think about it that way, it's probably gonna be hard for you to call God a liar, isn't it not? God himself said his grace is greater than your sin. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And with Jesus, through Jesus, we have received hope, and grace upon grace, constantly. And when the disciples were asking about forgiveness, Jesus said 70 times seven. Basically, I'm not gonna sit here and let you put me in a circumstance where I allow you as men to only forgive people a certain amount of time. The point is, because I forgive always of anyone who always asks of me. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Keep reading in 1 John chapter two. I write these things to you so you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, the man Jesus Christ, who is the propitiation for our sins. You can't get away from it. And if you get away from it, you have to get away from God's word. Hold fast and hope in the word of God. It's what will sustain you through the pit and the abyss that you must wait in. All of life is waiting, aren't we? What are we doing now? Waiting for our blessed hope. That's what Titus says. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not here yet, but it's coming. And the hope that we have is the evidence that we genuinely believe. What? Genuinely believe, have faith that what? What he says is true and that he's coming back. And we don't let any experience in the world take that away from us. And if it does, if the world's able to, then you get pulled into the world and you lose hopelessness and you go back to, or you stay in, you stay in hopelessness. When life tells me all is lost, the gospel reminds me I have immediate access to Yahweh in any circumstance. Ever present, never ending forgiveness an overwhelming guarantee of God's favor, so I wait. Now look at this beautiful, repetitive line that the psalmist gives to help you understand how you wait or the type of waiting we're talking about. He says here, more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. He's doing what? Waiting. Imagine you're a watchman and you're at night and you can't see until the sun comes up or 
let's put it in uh, modern day terms because we don't necessarily have watchmen in the tra- this traditional sense. Maybe if you like to hunt, get out in the woods, get out there a good hour and a half before uh, what I call prime time when the sun starts coming up. You can't see anything. You have to wait. But what type of waiting do you have? Do you sit there and wring your hands wondering if the sun's gonna come up? Is that, do you ever wonder if the sun's gonna come up? Never. You don't sit there in like anticipation. Maybe it won't today. No, you, you know the sun's gonna come up, so it is a matter of just waiting. So the night doesn't despair you. The night, you're filled with hope because you know the morning is coming. Imagine being lost in the wilderness. You hear these stories of people and the night's always the hardest, most scary moment. If you never spent any time in the woods by yourself at night, do it. It'll help you understand this even better, right? You will very much be appreciative of the sun. But, but they're not sitting there knowing this, this is the, I'm stuck in night perpetually for the rest of my life. No, I know it's coming. And so you endure, you keep going, you wait it out. That's what he's saying He's saying, more than the watchman is guaranteed and knows the sun's coming up, more than the watchman waits and is guaranteed and knows and knows it's just a matter of waiting for the sun to come up, I wait for God. More so than the sun rising in the sky is the guarantee that the, the sun that is God will rise on my circumstance and my life. Do you wait like that? This is what the psalmist is trying to instill in your heart is to wait more than watchmen for the morning. And then finally this, when, all tell, when life tells me all is lost, the gospel reminds me that I have a God who will always love and redeem his people. These last two verses, the psalmist goes from his personal circumstance and now he becomes a preacher. He goes from crying out in desperation to now he's encouraging others within eight verses. I love it. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. We may not be a Jew in Israel right now, but we do know what it's like to belong to the people of God and have his promises and the guarantee of a God who will always love you and redeem you. I have to take you here in your mind to the Hebrew because you can't appreciate steadfast love without understanding what that word actually means. Hesed, hesed. If I could spit, I'd spit, right? Hesed is the word. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. It's like already the psalmist is like, okay, I'm still in the abyss and it was horrible at first, but as I reflected upon what I have, what the good news of God has given me, what I have access to immediately. You know, the situation, it's like I found it. I found the thing that helps me through it. It's not a pill. It's not a person in flesh and blood like me who's imperfect. It's, It's not money. It's not pleasure. It's none of those things that I'm already giving myself to that don't ever seem to actually solve the problem. It's a God. For with the Lord, there is steadfast love. Hased means covenant faithfulness. Basically this, the Jews reflected on this because they reminded themselves, God made a promise to love me regardless. And so I know since he promised, he's gonna keep that. He's not gonna deny himself. He's not gonna go against his promise. Although I may be faithless, he remains faithful. And the steadfast love 
The said love of God is always on his people. He promised to love, so he will. And so the psalmist reminds himself of that. And then he reminds him, and with him, there is plentiful redemption. He never runs out. The freedom, the, the coming and making everything right is coming and it's plentiful. It'll be full. It'll be complete. It is coming. It's like the sun that's going to rise. It's going to rise. But our life is what? Still the night. It's still the night. Maybe you're in night even really dark night little moments and circumstances right now. We feel little suns rising through our life that God helps us with. But regardless of whether it's your full life or the moments of your life, the night weighted out, the sun always rises. And in that you have hope. You do not give up. And he will guaranteed redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Isn't this beautiful? Old Testament, accurately understanding the need for mercy and love and forgiveness, not even having their Messiah fully realized. What, I mean, think of this. Think of the faith that the psalmist has, not even having the sacrifice of their sins yet experienced. Yet it didn't matter because God promised. And since God promised, it doesn't matter if it's 30 or 40 or 400 years in the future, it's as sure as if it's already happened. And so the psalmist and his faith and belief and the hope of God's word trusts in the pardoning of God on his behalf because he simply believed and trusted who God said he was. And let me ask you this, did the sun rise from Israel? Did the Messiah show up? Did the anointed one And the long-expected snake crusher show up, church. Yay, man, he did. Did he rise from the dead? Did he rise from the dead? Did he ascend and is he at the right hand of the Father? Is he interceding for you daily? Yes, he is. So why would you give up hope? Why would you ever listen to that slimy, toothy, snake-hissing Surely to be destroyed and doomed for all eternity, accuser who was already defeated 2,000 years ago. When he comes to you in the watches of the night and tries to tell you the sun isn't coming up. He tells you of your past, you remind him of his future. And then you think about your future that's been guaranteed by a God who does not lie. Hope. It makes all the difference. Hope is what you need going through life. Let God work in your heart to instill through his word the hope that may be missing. And if someone's here this morning, you're like, I've never had this hope. When you read that first song of that person, that's been my life for all my life, then I'm so glad you're here. Listen, this is what your heart's been looking for. It is the hope that is found in Jesus Christ alone. Please give your heart to him and he will never leave you or forsake you. He will be what nothing else in your life you've tried has been. And he will show you who you are by the experience of who he is. All you must do is yet believe. Place your faith in him. Follow him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love him as you understand how much he loved you and gave himself up for you. And be filled with hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we all ascend to the real Jerusalem,
as we're all working towards our home in heaven. Life is the night. And we need the sun to come up. And it will. But God, take our hearts even further to where we don't need it to happen on our time. But where it doesn't have to happen immediately. To where just your promises alone are enough to sustain us. And be with the person here that may be despairing of life itself. That you would help them and invigorate their hearts with hope. And show them with the great tender mercies just how much you love them. And remind them again if they've forgotten that. In Jesus' name.